0: Hey, this is Shannon Wooten, pastor of New Spring Church, and this is our podcast. I hope it encourages you, and I hope it gives you hope that a new life in Jesus is possible for you. We appreciate you, and thank you for listening. Hey, turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel, the book of Daniel. We're starting the new series on living in Babylon while living for God, and I think every one of us uh, are concerned about some of the cultural shifts in our world today, especially in our country, and I want to speak to that. I I think Daniel, the book of Daniel, gives us some good example and modeling. How can we model living in an ungodly culture, some culture that seems challenging to us? How can we do that while we're living for God? So I want you to see this today, that there may be some concerns about biblical beliefs, our, culture, our country is shifting away from God, um, pushing God out of almost everything, and definitely some of the biblical principles that you and I are very familiar with, it seems like the culture is opposing that. So there's going to be a number of things that are going to concern us, but what can't the Bible give us some confidence? Can the Bible give us some instruction? Can it guide our way still? And of course it can, and I think we need to what I'm asking the body of Christ to do, and especially New Spring, is just to cool down just a little bit. Just, just, just take a moment to really listen to what God has to say and see if God cannot give us, refire us back up with maybe the right response, the right reaction. Not to say that, that we're all doing it wrong. That's not what I'm saying this morning. But I can tell you when, um, when I saw a post a few months ago on social media um, about gender and someone. This came from actually uh, the church, the body of Christ, not not New Spring, thank God. If it was New Spring, I'd call you out on it, but it didn't. It came from probably some of you have, um, some of you might recognize this man, and some of you might call him even a prophet and very spiritual man. But after I saw what was said, I would not call him spiritual at all. I would call it responding in flesh. But he posted a picture of, it looked like a, someone who didn't understand if they were male or female, and so you really couldn't tell the way they were dressed. And honestly, they looked a little odd. They did. But you wouldn't believe the hatefulness from the church world that was spewed on this whole page. I'm talking about pure hatefulness coming from the church world ugly, ridiculous, I mean, just like the person was not a human being. And I was—I literally was so sick to my stomach I about threw up. And I said, I really said that we are, we are doing this as a church. If that's, if that's the response as the body of Christ, we are so far from being biblically correct that this is ridiculous. We'll never be able to win the world of Jesus Christ acting like this. And what happens is, is we get, we things begin to shift, and we get afraid. We get scared, and then we just throw throw stuff out there because we're really, honestly, there's fear. It's fear based, and we say things that are hateful and mean, and we refuse to go back to the Word of God to say, "How should I respond in these types of situations?" Many of you are business owners. You serve in uh, different places of employment. and and your business may ask you to change some policies to fit the culture of the world, and you may be in conflict internally. You may be in conflict. What do you do? How do you respond to this? How do you react to it? I want to just say I think the Bible can help us, and I think if we really ask the Lord to give us wisdom, he'll show us how to walk in wisdom, how to live for God while we're living in a culture that's turned upside down or away from God. So when we say Babylon... And I'm going to unpack this in just a moment. When we say Babylon, Babylon was a culture that definitely was not the culture of God. But God's people were in exile. They were captured from their, their country and thrown into Babylon. And now they had to learn how to live different, live in a world. How did they worship? Probably they worshiped in Babylon different than they worshiped in Jerusalem. It'd be like, I think modern day, an example would be, some of you still remember uh, when China was under communism. The church in America, the way it worshiped and the way it worshiped God was a lot different than the way it worshiped God in China. We couldn't have loud worship and expressive in China. They had to go underground. They had to be quiet. They had to be in secret. They had to whisper. They had to read scriptures in quietly. They had to, some of them had to do it under candlelight because if they were caught they would be persecuted and killed. So how do we how do we live in a shifting culture and still live for God? We're going to look at it. So Babylon is where God's people were taken captive. God gave them laws, he gave them ceremonies, principles to follow, a way to worship him, but now they're having to now they're challenged. They're not able to do some of the things that God wanted them to do. God created the culture within his people even. But now they're thrown into Babylon or a different culture. They had to discover how to live godly lives in an ungodly culture. As we look at Daniel chapter 1 this morning, Daniel was a man who was raised by his parents. His parents, they loved God. In fact, Daniel's name, they named Daniel, and his name means God is my judge. And according to Jewish historians, Daniel came from a a royal line. He was highly educated. He attended some of the greatest schools. No doubt he was MVP on many things that he uh, attempted to do. He was one of those all-star students that just was elevated to a level of honor. Daniel Daniel was very educated and very knowledgeable. And I'm sure his parents had a high expectation on how they raised him that he would definitely be used in their culture, Jerusalem, Israel, and would be put in a position where they could lead and he could lead and live and rule, reign, manage in the culture that he was raised with. But that wasn't the case. God allowed his people to fall in exile, to be captured and thrown into Babylon because his people rejected his warning several times. He says, don't you dare worship other gods. If you do, don't don't chase after these idols. Trust me, follow me with all of your heart. And if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to fall captive. And that's what happened. They rejected God. And they were taken from their country and thrown into Babylon taken captive as slaves or exiles. Babylon, geographically today, if you looked at the map and saw and you see modern day Iraq, that was the area or region of Babylon. And the book of Daniel is listed in the section of major prophets. When you look through the Bible, you don't look at it. It doesn't doesn't read chronologically. It reads in sections. So they're categorized with the Pentateuch, which is Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, which is the law of the Pentateuch. And then you move on to these different sections of the Bible. That's how your Bible is laid out. Daniel is placed within the major prophets. You have major prophets and minor prophets. Not that Daniel was greater than the minor prophets, it's just that Daniel had more content and some of the minor prophets had a small amount of content. And that's where you find Daniel. Daniel, the book of Daniel, is not just a historical book. Please hear me. It's not only a historical book. It is a prophetic book. And I wonder if God can show us out of the history of Daniel of what was happening within Israel can speak to us prophetically of how God wants to use us as his people and his church today of where we are at today. So let's pick up verse 1 in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Look what it says, verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Who did that? The Lord. The Lord the lord allowed that and look what happened along with some of the articles from the temple of god they took them and then he carried them to the temple of his god a false god in babylonia and put in the treasure house of his goods look at verse 3 then the king ordered ashpenaz the chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the israelites now check the description From royal family and the nobility, verse 4, young men without physical defect, handsome, like your youth pastor, showing aptitude for every kind. He's not even here. He's serving a kids' church. All right, your middle school pastor. Devin, there you are. Look at this. Showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed. These were not ignorant men. These were educated men quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace, and he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Look at the re-education that's happening. Verse 5, the king assigned them to a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So number 1 this morning I want you to write it down. Sometimes God will allow us to go through uncomfortable and trying cultures. Sometimes God, who did all this? Who allowed this? It was God. The Lord allowed it. Maybe God is sometime allowing us to go through uncomfortable settings or cultures because there's a test of what we are going to follow. Do we know God's word? Do we know his principles? Do we know how to follow the Lord? And through those tests, will it try us? And can God's glory come out of those tests and trials? Daniel was placed in an entirely different culture than the culture he grew up in. So here's the thing I understand, that it is easy for us to live for God when everyone's living for God. But it may get a little challenging when God places you in a place where no one no one cares about the things of God. How are you going to really truly live your life? If, if the light, if everyone in this room is shining bright for Jesus, we may get encouraged from that. But do you know where the real impact is made? It's when we go outside of this auditorium, outside of our four walls, and go into a dark world who knows nothing about Jesus, and we live for God and allow them to be attracted to Jesus Christ. He says, "What good is it?" Matthew, okay, here's what Jesus said. "What good is salt inside the salt shaker? It's no good. But the salt has to come outside of the salt shaker in order for it to be light, to in order for it to be effective. What good is a light?" He says, "If you hide it under a bushel," this is what Jesus said, "It's no good. But if you let that light shine, it will be as a city on a hill and everyone will be able to see." Is that not what God has called us to, guys? is to take the things that God is showing us and how he wants us to live and shine your bright as light, as, as bright as you can. Can you shout amen this morning? Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 7. The chief official gave them new names. Here's what's going to happen. Look what he had. Daniel, he, they changed his name to Belt Hananiah to Shadrach. To Mishael Meshach, and Azariah Abidnego. They changed their name in order to change, catch this, their mindset, challenge their beliefs, and to fit them into a new culture. And that's what the world wants to do. That's what Babylon wants to do. That's what the world system wants to do. It wants to challenge your identity. Names are giving, given to us, are, they're a sign of ownership. When your mom and dad named you, they named you for a reason. There's some background to that. And are you living up to the name that's given to you, or has something shifted in you? Has you have you been have you went through some things in your life where your personality has changed? Maybe your beliefs have shifted. I remember when I was in middle school, and I was always really a good student, respectful. I respected others, but something happened after my parents divorced. I I was challenged at school. I had some some things going on internally that I was just questioning and wanted to fit in and picked on a little bit at school, but I said, that ain't going to happen. I'm not going to allow that. So what happened? I started acting out. I'm telling you, I went to the principal's office almost every week for months at school. I don't know why, but I got caught one time fighting in the bathroom, men's bathroom, boys' bathroom. Why do all fights happen in the bathroom at school? Like, that's weird, all right, I don't know why, but we're sitting there rolling around on the floor, nasty floor, punching each other, and the principal comes in and drags us out by, the, by, the, by our collars, drags us to the principal's office. I was in trouble so much that I got suspended from school that year. What was happening? I got labeled. I was being labeled as, man, Shannon Wooten is a troublemaker. He's a troubled student. He's, his grades are horrible. I got labels put on me and forming this new identity that I was a troublemaker. Stay away from that boy because he will get you into trouble. But that's not who God called me to be. And see, there are labels. The culture will try to label you. Listen to me very carefully. Will try to label you based on your failures and your mistakes. And if you're not care- careful, you will allow the world to label you and people to label you. And God says, that's not who you are. That's not who I called you to be. That's not who I formed you to be. That's not who you are. How many are grateful that when you come to Jesus Christ, come on, you form back to the new identity, come on, within, with Jesus Christ, the way that God called you to be. Amen. So I want you to see this. Number two, culture desires to change our identity. If we're not careful, as the culture shifts, you'll be challenged to change your identity. Babylon wants you to believe something about you that is not true. The enemy wants you to believe something about you today that is not true. I want you to look at, real quickly, look at the, the, how the names were changed uh, in, in Babylon. Daniel, as I said, is God is my judge. They changed it to Belshazzar. Look what it says. Look what it did. They changed his name to Belshazzar, which means Lady, protect the king. You think that's not going to have some mind... Shifting in him with a mindset that even genderly there's a, a a shifting, a challenge. Hananiah is Yahweh has been gracious. They changed his name to Shadrach, which is I am fearful of God. You're going now from I'm confident to God, but now you're in this new culture, and now you're going to have a new identity that calls you to be fearful of God. Mishael, who is what God is. See the confidence? Who is what God is? Who is... Who is what God is? But they changed his name to Meshach, and it means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. Don't you think that Babylon had very much an an intentional effort to change the mindset as they're reprogramming them? Azariah was Yahweh has helped to now Abednego, which servant of Nepo. And by the way, why do we, as we're telling the story growing up, why do we always referred to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was the Babylonian names. Why didn't, we, why didn't we stick to the Hebrew name that God gave them? Come on, somebody. I don't know. That's just food for thought. But I wonder how many times God wants you to be, how many times does God want you to go back to what is God saying about you? I love, I've been watching this, um, this new series, and it's been out for a while It's uh, called Chosen, and you can download the app. You watch it on your phone or watch it on your iPad or on, uh, but I've watched, how many have watched the the series Chosen? It's about Jesus and the life of Jesus. All right, a few of us. All right, you got to download this. So I started watching it. I kind of got bored about halfway through it. It was my ADD. And then one of my pastor friends said, hey, hey, no, you got to watch it to the end. It gets really, really, it's laying a foundation. And I'm like, come on, just give me me the, I want to blow something up. You know, I wanted the exciting part. It gets to the end of that first episode, and Jesus comes on the scene. And then after that, man, I'm hooked. I'm watching this series now. I'm going to show you a clip at the end of this message today, a reenactment of what I'm going to tell you. Jesus comes on the scene to Mary Magdalene. Of course, she's not going by Mary. No one knows her as Mary Magdalene. She's going by, I think, Leela is her name in this story, or And she's a prostitute. She's demon-possessed. She's struggling with demonic possession and just driver because of where she's been broken in life. Someone has renamed her, and now she's struggling with this identity. And while she's struggling, she, she reflects back to the time when she was a little kid sitting on her dad's lap, and he's quoting Isaiah 43 and verse 1 to her, and here's what it says. Thus says the Lord who created you. He who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And she's thinking back to this moment where God was speaking into her life and forming her identity, but now she's challenged and under this demonic depression. And she begins to rip up the scripture and throw it away, and she finds herself now at a bar. And she asks for some alcohol to to kind of ease this demonic possession and ease all of this torment in her mind. And the bartender says, that, that's not what you need. That's, that's not going to help you. That's not going to resolve your problems. That will only cover up what's really going on. And then Jesus comes in the bar. This is what I love about Jesus. Come on, Jesus is not afraid to go anywhere. Come on, Jesus is not only in the tabernacle. Come on, Jesus is not only in the sanctuary. Jesus goes to bars. Come on, somebody. Jesus comes into the bar, puts his hand on her hand as she's taking a drink, and she says, he says to her, that's not for you. And she begins to feel this, this compelling up. She's drawn to her need of to be free from all the torment of her identity being confused. Jesus follows her out of the bar, and then I'm going to show you the clip at the end of what happens. Jesus uses the same word that he spoke to her as a kid so that he could bring freedom and deliverance to her so she could form her new identity in Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. anyone grateful this morning that when we come to Jesus Christ, we don't have to be confused about who we are? Come on, somebody. We don't have to be confused about who we are when we come to Jesus Christ. And that's the beautiful thing this morning. We can go through the culture of this world and we will be confused about what's going on around us if we don't lock into a relationship with Jesus. And as long as we stick to his word, he will constantly tell us who we are. Come on, so we are confident living in an upside down world, we can be confident about who we are in Jesus Christ. Number three, when culture shifts, we must know who we are. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved, he settled it within him. Daniel resolved, he looked internal. He knew that he was being challenged by what was going on, but he resolved within himself. He looked at the principles of God, and he resolved within himself, and here's what he said, to not defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now, why is that? Why did he reject the royal food and wine? It was not because it was just anything different other than other than, it was used, the meat and the wine was used to be sacrificed to idols. And Daniel knew that he could not touch meat and wine that had been sacrificed to these animals that it would, it would just, his, his belief system and what he believed, he was not going to touch unclean things. And he believed that. And he said, I'm not going to do this. Now, he could have said, you bunch of devils, you Babylonians, I can't believe you, you don't know God. He could have thumped his Bible at them and said, I don't care what you do, I'm not going to eat that stuff. But that's not what Daniel did. What did Daniel do? Look what he says. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I thought, wow. Why wouldn't Daniel just be so bold and say, man, if God called me, I'm going to tell you, I don't answer to nobody. Right? Can I just tell you, listen, the fruit of the Holy Spirit will always cause us to respond in a way that's going to position Jesus Christ in a great position through you. Come on, somebody. You can go all redneck if you want to, but I'm going to tell you something. You're going to lose, lose your influence. What does the Holy Spirit say to us when, it come, when we're being challenged and we're being shifted, we're being tested, we're afraid, we're scared, we're losing grip, we don't have control of this anymore. What do we do? Can I just tell you, let me just be very frank with you, all right? I believe, and you can disagree with me and that's fine. I promise you I won't cancel you out because you disagree with me. But I believe the church has relied on politics to evangelize the world. And we're in a mess. Can I tell you, there's only one way to evangelize the world, and there's only one way for a a nation to turn to God, and it's not legislation, it's not passing laws, it's not Democrats, it's not Republicans, it's not Libertarians, it's not Independent. There's only one way, and that is for a heart to be changed, to be transformed. I can tell my kids, don't do that, don't do that, and they will not do it as long as I'm looking at them, but just as soon as I turn my back, come on, I saw you, you're going to do exactly what I told you not to do. Why? Because that's the way humans are. And we will never be a godly nation without, come on, a revival of coming back to Jesus Christ and living for him according to his life. I can't thump my Bible loud enough. I can't preach loud enough. I can't can't change you with my words as much as I want to. But I do know this, if I can lead you to Jesus Christ and you fall in love with him, you will do exactly what he wants you to do. The church needs to wake up, stop relying on politics, and go back to the five-fold ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers. Come on, evangelists. What, that's the gifts that God gave to the church. And when we use the gifts that God has given us and not rely on a worldly system, come on, the world will be evangelized to know Jesus Christ. That didn't cost you anything. Where did that, that was not even supposed to go there. I know that's not popular, and some of you will walk away mad, and I'm just going to refer you back to my last sermon, Offense. But I strongly believe this. And I really believe that I have theology. I believe my theology is very sound on this. And I would be happy to meet with you and go through some scriptures of how God, I'm going to show you some things of how to respond to the culture the way Daniel did it. So look at this. When the culture shifts, we must know who we are. Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself. Look at number four. Culture will ask you to compromise our standards. Culture will ask us to compromise our standards. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to have to know which ones are worthy of you to stand up for. Because some of your standards that are not biblical, maybe maybe you're just going to have to, give in a little bit on some of those things, but if it goes against the word of God, hear me out this morning, if it goes against the word of God, know what your word says and you're going to have to resolve in your heart not to compromise in certain areas of your life. If we are not careful, the culture will, will pressure us into moving God's standard to fit the culture standard. Can I tell you? Do not make any mistake. New Spring is not changing God's standard for this church in order to fit into the culture of this world. And I, can I tell you, if you're a little worried about God's standards, if you come from a legalistic background from religion, I am not. I've been set free from, from legalism. I'm not talking about legalism. But can I tell you this morning that God's standards are here not to hurt us but to protect us. There's a reason why God wants us to live at a certain standard and it's to bring, come on, his glory out through us and it's to protect us. Number five, when culture shifts, we must reaffirm our standards. So I'll read this real quick. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9-14. through 14. Now God had caused, I love this. Daniel responds by asking permission, and look what happens. The Holy Spirit moves. When you respond the right way, God's going to set you up for success. Look at this. Now, God had caused the official to show favor. Someone shout, show favor. Even in an ungodly culture, even in Babylon, God can give you favor. You know what I'm looking for? I'm not looking, I'm not even worried about the world. I'm not worried about the shifting of the culture. Or am I concerned? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm just, saying, I'm just saying I'm not worried about losing anything. You know why? Because even in the world that we live in, God can still give us favor. He can give you favor. And he had compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who's assigned your food and drink. And why should he see you looking worse than any other young man your age? And the king would then have my head because of you. So it makes sense. He's worried about his job. But I love this. Daniel pauses. He doesn't try to force it. He's thinking, okay, God, you're going to have to give me wisdom on what to do now. Ah, Holy Spirit gives him wisdom. What does he do? He says, ah, oh, I got an idea. i tell you what. Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. He said, look at this. Please. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. He placed, he said the Holy Spirit gave him an idea to go through a test, and he says, you know what, God, I'm putting my life in your hands, okay, God? If you want me to live up to this standard, if this is a standard that's, that, that needs for me to take a stand on, Then God, give me wisdom on how to deal with this. And I'm placing the results in your hands. And after 10 days, they were smarter. They were wiser. They looked looked healthier. They were clear. They weren't foggy brain. They they stood out head and shoulders above the other people who were drinking wine and eating red meat and all that kind of stuff. These guys were just living off of vegetables, vegetarians, which I don't know how you do that. I still got to have my meat, guys. But they, but they did that, but they were smarter and more focused. You know what I say? It's not because they were eating squash or broccoli. Fooey on that. Okay, yeah, it was. All right, you nutritionists out there, all right. It was because they did what God wanted them to do and the favor of God rested on them. And God wants to give you favor in Babylon, in this culture, if you will listen and respond the way the Holy Spirit wants you to respond. Can I hear a good amen this morning? So, Daniel and his friends were tested many times. Look at number six. Write this down. Culture will always create a confrontation. That's what's happening right now. There's a confrontation going on. Can I, can I plead with you? The last place that confrontation should happen is within the church, the body of Christ. Christians should not be turning on Christians. Brothers should not be turning on brothers. Come on. We should not, we need to be united in our standards, in what God wants to do, in our reaction, in our response to the world, so that we can be examples to the culture around us. Number seven, when culture shifts, we must respond. Someone shout, respond respond the right way. God didn't call us to fight to be right. Listen to me. He called us to be effective. And you can fight to be right, and you can fight to be heard, and you can fight all these different ways. But let me tell you something. Are you being effective? Is people, are people going to know Jesus, or are they just going to know what you believe? Daniel had the wisdom to walk in truth and remain in love. Someone shall walk in truth and remain in love. You know what? So did Jesus. Jesus had the ability to walk in truth because he was truth, but he also walked in love. First John or John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what did he say? Grace and truth. Truth is God's standard. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. What is the truth? He he says it right there. He says, Your word is truth. The word of God. How are we going to know a standard to live by if we're not opening up our Bible and reading it? We have biblical literacy going on today because we only highlight the scriptures that we like, but we're not digging into Daniel. We're not digging into how should I behave? How should I respond? And we're not challenging ourselves. On, on the attitude of our life and the fruit of our spirit because we only like certain things. But here's what I'm telling you. We have to unpack all of God's word and can God's word give us a standard of how we live in the world today and if we find it and live it and embrace it, come on, God will help us to live in an ungodly culture in a godly way. And Jesus gets glorified and other people will want to become like Jesus. Grace is God's favor. Truth Is God's standard. Grace is God's favor. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's both. So I want you to look at the screen real, real quick here. And let's unpack John 1 through 14. Look what it says. Without truth, we are corrupt. Without truth, we're corrupt. We have to know. There, there's no reason to come to Jesus and say, man, I need a savior unless I know the truth. And the truth will begin to set me free. So God calls us to be changed. First Corinthians, we're no longer an old cr- creation. We're now a new creation. Old things are, what are my old things? The way I used to respond. The hatefulness has went away. The bitterness has gone. I'm, I'm living the way that God wants me to live, right? So without grace, we are all condemned. And without truth, we become worldly. Without grace, we become judgmental. Truth without grace is mean, and grace without truth is meaningless. Truth and grace now becomes a medicine for our hearts, our soul, and our spiritual life. Anybody glad, come on, that truth and grace has brought healing? Come on to your life. Can you give the Lord a praise for that? Grace invites us to be free, and truth sets us free. Anybody grateful to be set free today because of the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ? Can you give the Lord a praise? Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come today, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to please hold, hold still for just a moment because, please, unless you just absolutely have to leave, then that's fine. But please, there's a ministering moment here that I think needs to happen, and it's two things. One, I want us to pray that God would help us as Christ followers to respond in truth and in love. And we need his wisdom on how to do that. That the culture doesn't pound us, shape us, mold us into something that God doesn't want us to be. Secondly, there is an identity, I believe, pressure from the culture to confuse people about their identity. And that goes from, that can go from, I'm living out the identity of me being a failure because I've failed so many times, it could be I'm 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 afraid, and I'm living out this identity of intimidation over me, and it could be all the way from not not that one's greater than the other. They're all they're all limiting us, and it could be that I'm 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 confused about my gender. I'm confused about who I'm supposed to be as a as a man, a woman. I'm confused about how am I supposed to respond to the culture that's putting all this pressure on. But can I remind us that Jesus has come not only to seek and to save, that which is lost, he's come to renew our identity with him. This morning, right now, right now, I believe just as we watch Jesus ministering to Mary Magdalene in a powerful moment, the same thing can happen to us right now in this moment where the enemy is putting pressure on you and you feel challenged with this identity. I believe with all of my heart right now, if you'll receive Christ, if you let him in, that he can do two things today. There's an incredible amount of freedom and liberty that can help us. Because listen to me, guys, we need our identity to be rock solid in Babylon. And how do we respond? We respond just like Jesus did. John chapter 8. Can I just have a couple minutes? Who Give me two minutes. Two, two, two. Give me two. Anybody give me two? Anybody give me two? All right. Can I have three? I'm joking. Listen to me very carefully. Look at this. You've got to catch this. John chapter 8, the woman is caught in adultery and she's had an identity crisis. And some men bring this woman who's caught in adultery. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. And you know what they've done? They put a label on her. She's an adulterer. You know why? Because this is what they said. We caught her. How'd you catch her? You sneaking in the windows, you peeking? What are you doing? And Jesus begins to write in the dirt. What did he write? I have no clue, but I really want to know. And that's the first thing I'm going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. What were you writing in the dirt? Because whatever he wrote in the dirt, from the oldest Pharisee to the youngest Pharisee, they begin to one by one turn away. And it convicted their heart because they realized that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Come on, Romans. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the way to find freedom for our identity is not thumping us over the head and Jesus knew it. You know what he did? He says, turns to the woman and he waits for everyone to leave so they could have a private moment between him and this woman. And he says, where are your accusers? she looks around she says not here there's no one and Jesus says to her and it's the gray side he says neither do I condemn you what was he doing he's reshaping her identity he's not calling her an adulterer he's not calling her you sinner I can't believe you did that you nasty thing I can't believe you he's not doing any of that he just says neither do I condemn you and then here comes the truth Go and sin no more as you walk in the freedom of forgiveness that I just gave you. Can somebody give God praise this morning? The world will never hear Jesus or see Jesus if we keep beating them over the head. But if we respond in truth, by li- you live in truth. Respond in truth by you living in truth. But, by, my goodness, open the doors wide. I don't care. Listen. I don't care who comes in this door. I don't care who comes to New Spring Church. I don't care if they're gay, if they're lesbian. I don't care if they're transgender. I don't care if they can't figure out who they are. If they pick out one of the other 20-something, it doesn't matter. But what we're not going to do is beat them over the head, make them feel like an idiot, make them feel belittled. We're going to love them to Jesus Christ. Can I hear a big amen this morning? Why? because it's not good enough for me to say I'm right and here's the word of God. It's more important for me to lead them to Jesus so they can be free. And the same thing happened to Mary Magdalene. And I want you to watch this. So here's the story I showed you. Young girl, Isaiah 41. This is for somebody this morning. Somebody. Isaiah 43.1. Thus says the Lord... He created you. He who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name specifically. And guess what? You are mine. That's what the Lord says to you this morning. I want you to watch this clip and we'll pray. Hey, thank you for listening to today's message. We appreciate you tuning in. I hope you subscribe so you can join us back here next week. If you're interested in connecting with us at New Spring Church, text connect NC to 94000. Hey, we're praying for you and we pray God's blessing upon you.